one of the things that's challenging about depression is people say, well, just get over it. You know, oh, well, it'll go away. And that's hard to hear because when it doesn't go away, you feel like you're hugely flawed. When I'm in that dark place, I feel damaged. I feel broken. I want it to all stop. I don't think I would ever do anything to hurt myself. But it's more of a a wish that I could go to sleep and not wake up. And that has been one of the kind of recurrent aspects of, you know, when I've hit these depressed moods. In the course of seeing various therapists, I've learned that I have to do the work. They can't just wave a magic wand. It's really up to me to do these other things, to, you know, try to exercise and do meditation and Tai Chi and it's like a concert. We can't just play one instrument. Running has become a big part of my life. You know, it's been a source of real joy for me. I've run two marathons myself. I ran my first one almost 10 years ago, and then I ran the Chicago Marathon in 2012. I'm not fast. I'm not out there to win. <laughs> I'm out there to finish. I'm out there to enjoy it and and to push myself because I like to push myself. So when I moved to Boston in 2006, I was dying to be able to volunteer at the Boston Marathon. So the first year I volunteered was 2007, the year of the nor'easter when they almost canceled because of the rain. But I was out there, I was out there at mile four, pouring water, you know, getting soaked, and I loved it. I was on the course every year until 2013. And after I finished Chicago, I decided, man, next year I have to be at the finish line for Boston. Because crossing that finish line in a big city marathon, it was just amazing. I wanted to be one of those people handing out the water bottles and and seeing people make that achievement. And so I put that in as my first choice, and I was assigned to the first water station after the finish line, which was just past Dartmouth Street. As the runners started coming through, wow, some of these people had looked like they'd been to hell and back. You know, they were bleeding and chafed and crusty and but then there were smiles and you know we were there to congratulate them and there were people who hugged me and you know it was just tremendous but I happened to look down Boylston Street when the bombs went off and then I saw a runner come through and she had a look of sheer terror on her face Then the emergency vehicle started coming in. The scariest thing about all of it was that nobody knew what was going on outside of, you know, right where it happened. And while I was waiting to figure out what to do, someone came out of the main medical tent with a runner in a wheelchair who had come through before the bombs 
and had stress fractures. His name was Michael. He didn't have his phone. The guy's wearing a singlet and shorts, and he's freezing. They said, can you try to find his wife? So, you know, I tried texting her. And we're standing there, and I didn't, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I was afraid to take responsibility for this person. And, and finally, I'm like, you know what, Michael? I'm going to help you find your wife. I am not leaving you until I know you found your family. So while I was wheeling him over to the family meetup area, I'm trying to think of ways to be calm. So I'm, I said, so what does your wife look like? She's beautiful. She has brown hair. She's tall. Where are you from? He was from Michigan. Just trying to think of things that can calm us both down, because I was starting to freak out myself by that point. And, you know, the whole time he's like, oh, he's like, I really, I just want to get my gear bag so I can get my phone and I can get a change of clothes. And so we got to the waiting area and his family wasn't there yet. And amazingly, I managed to find where his bag was. They gave it to me. I come running back, and when I get there, his family's there. And I hugged his wife. (laughs) We hugged each other for probably a solid minute. And that was just an amazing moment. After that, all of a sudden, things started to mean something different. At one point, they thought there was a third unexploded bomb. It later turned out there wasn't one. But that third device, they thought, was right where I had been standing. So I was able to walk away from this event with both of my legs, with both of my arms. And I was alive. As far as I was concerned, what I had at that point was a gift. Because it all could have ended. And it sounds melodramatic, but You know, I went through the typical kind of survivor guilt. Why did an eight-year-old boy die? And I walked away. So it wasn't too long after that that I I was like, man, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I have to believe that I can do something to make things better for somebody. And amazingly, because I'd kind of been going through a bit of blues, had done a mind-body consult, because I'm like, I don't want to take more medication. I I know that there's mindfulness. I know there are these other things. So I had actually started a relaxation response program at the same time. And after it was over, the nurse practitioner who led our group they had these peer counselors who were graduates of the program who, you know, worked with later sessions. She asked me if I would be willing to do that. She's like, you know, your group was so wonderful, and I think you were a big part of that. 
you know, she saw something in me. So I worked with three groups after that. And that was when I started to be able to see other people come in and change. To give people the power to make those changes. To help them empower themselves. And see how they could make that meaning out of what was previously frustration. That was amazing. I was determined that what happened that day, I was going to make meaning out of it for myself. That that was not going to be a day that I remember as the worst day of my life. Obviously, I wish it would have never happened how it did. I wish that those bombs had never gone off. But it happened. I can't let that ruin my faith in good people and humanity and all of those things. Because there was a lot of amazing feeling that came out of that. Part of what I realized was that I have a responsibility to myself to be my own true authentic self. That means with the depression, with plantar fasciitis, you know, with body images and all kinds of other things that, you know, I still struggle with. I started to think about the, well, what are the good things about the fact that I've been depressed? I understand people that are feeling this way. I understand what it feels like to be in that dark place. I can look at a garden and see all of its beauty. Not that you have to have depression to appreciate those things, but I think I appreciate them more because of that. It's like any other illness. It doesn't have to limit you. It's all about making it mean something. And certainly, after the marathon, every day is a gift. So I have to live it with what I've got. (laughs) And this is what I have. 